Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello and welcome to another Sibyline podcast, the first of 2019. In this session, we're going to be talking about Canada, the US and China, uh, notably talking around issues of Huawei, uh, national security and trade. With me to do that, I'm joined by our senior analyst for North America, Katie Dalvarez. Katie, thank you very much for joining. So to start us off, what's the, what's the broad context here? There's quite a lot going on. Yes. So as everybody is probably very aware, Canada, China, the US, Huawei have all been in the news often together recently. And so it's easy to conflate all of these issues, but really it should be split up into three separate buckets, if you would. We have the Huawei arrest of CFO Meng Wanzhou in Canada on December 1st on a US warrant. We have the broader national security concerns, which have been pushed by the U.S., specifically on allies like the Five Eyes. And then we also have the ongoing trade negotiations between China and the U.S. Mm -hmm. So let's take them in order. Mm -hmm. So starting with Huawei, Mm -hmm. how has China responded to this? So we have seen after recent comments made by Ambassador to Canada, uh, Liu She that China is really seeing the detention of Meng Wanzhou as a political attack on uh, Chinese interests and have responded by detaining two Canadian citizens, amongst others, but of note are Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Both of these men have been detained for about a month now um, and are being denied access to lawyers and only allowed to see the consulate once a month. And what charges, what, on what charges have they been detained? They've been detained under national security concerns, which is often used by the Chinese to mean espionage. Okay. And am I right in thinking that there's one of them or, or one of the Canadian nationals is facing a death penalty in China? So that is actually a separate case that's going on right now. So we've seen uh, this week Robert Schellenberg, who had been previously convicted uh, or sentenced, rather, to 15 years of prison for drug smuggling in China, had a retrial, and it was a hasty sentencing. Uh, He had requested the retrial, but there was a lot more attention given to it by the Chinese media than you would typically see, and he ended up being sentenced to death for the drug smuggling charges. This is not unusual for China. They do have strong death penalty convictions when it comes to drugs. However, it is unusual given the amount of media attention, the haste of the verdict, and the fact that it targets a Western citizen. Okay, yeah. And so moving on then to trade negotiations, Mm -hmm. where have we got to there? So we have ongoing trade negotiations between the U.S. and Canada, or U.S. and China, which are due to end on March 1st um, with the expiration of the 90-day truce that was agreed to between President Xi Jinping and President Donald Trump at the beginning of December. So we've seen a lot of market fluctuation and economic concerns around these trade negotiations. However, our view of it is that there is a lot of incentive for both countries to come to an agreement. Specifically, China is laying the groundwork to give Donald Trump a win, in quotations, uh, if you would, in order to ease this issue as both countries face economic strain. 
Uh-huh. Okay, so moving on then to the uh, broader national security concerns, mm-hmm. uh, th- I think this is an enduring, uh, an enduring issue really. So mm-hmm. can you expand a little bit on what we mean by that? Yes, you're definitely right on that, Pete. So what we've seen is really from closed briefings by the FBI and the CIA b- dating back into the early 2000s that Huawei and China and ZTE Technologies, another Chinese technology company, have all been listed by name as national security concerns within the U.S. And so we've seen former head of the CIA and NSA, Michael Sp- Michael Hayden, making accusations against Huawei and China as early as 2013, House Intelligence Committee reports naming Huawei and China in 2012. So this is definitely something that's been pushed by the intelligence community and the security community for the last decade, at least. So this is something that should be seen as separate, really, from the trade negotiations. Okay. And what exactly are we talking about in terms of, you know, the security threat? Is this more about uh, espionage or intellectual property theft or, 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 or something else? So really both. So when it comes to Huawei and ZTE in particular and a lot of the legislation that we've seen coming out of the House um, and the Senate in recent weeks, earlier this week in fact, uh, that has to do with concerns around espionage, specifically telecommunications hardware and software being used by the Chinese government to spy on American communications. We have also seen several lawsuits made or started, rather, by the Department of Justice um, on behalf of companies like T-Mobile USA against Huawei and other firms for the theft of intellectual property. They are concurrent investigations, concurrent initiatives. Uh, However, they're being handled by different parts of the U.S. government and so are somewhat separate in that regard. The DOJ in particular, those investigations are going to go on regardless of political motivation, while Obviously, Congress and the Senate and the House are much more likely to build legislation based around current political concerns. Okay, great. So that's a really comprehensive context (laughs) that you've laid out there um, in three distinct aspects. So thank you for that. Now, how do these how do these different aspects interrelate? You know, what does this what does this mean and and how do they impact each other? So they do relate in that they are mutually reinforcing. Um, And when I say that. The U.S. trade negotiations, for example, if they're going well, you might see less political rhetoric against Huawei. However, that doesn't mean that the national security establishment or the DOJ is going to stop its pursuit on crimes of commercial espionage or anything we've already mentioned. However, um, the more likely situation is you're going to see uh, the Chinese, the Canadians, and the Americans making political statements about the recent arrests of Meng, as well as the ongoing investigations into Huawei, and having those increase the tensions of the negotiators within the trade negotiation, ongoing trade negotiations. They are separate issues and are going to be going on and being undertaken by different parts of the U.S. government, different countries, in fact, different governments. However, all of the media coverage is going to reinforce those issues coming together and make it more likely for tensions to be exacerbated based on varying lines of inquiry. Okay, yeah, that's great. So looking forward then, tricky question, but, uh, you know, what are your predictions for, uh, for the next coming weeks and months? And, uh, you know, what, what should we expect? So I think the best way to talk about that um, is first talking about more of 
Canadian predictions um, and then predictions for companies operating in the U.S. or employing U.S. nationals. So to start off with, the Canadian travel situation and security situation is more acute at this point in time. Canada is the one that has Meng Wanzhou in custody. The Chinese ambassador to Canada, Liu She, has directly linked the arrest of Meng to ongoing tensions between the two countries. So until the extradition hearing of Meng, uh, which is slated to occur the 6th of February, you're going to see elevated security risks for Canadian nationals traveling in and out of China, particularly those holding dual citizenship. Those have been outlined in a recent addendum to the Canadian Travel Risk Advisory. You're also going to be seeing more hardline rhetoric coming out from the Canadian government against the Chinese and the Chinese responding in turn. We've already seen this over the last week, again, with Ambassador Luce's comments and warnings to Foreign Affairs Minister Krista Friedland to make wise choices and to not use the upcoming summit at Davos for the World Economic Forum as a way to broadcast and get garner support for Canada's position against the Chinese. So we're really, in some, going to see escalating tensions over the next month, at least. And Meng is likely to appeal whatever decision comes out of the Canadian court. And it could take a significant amount of time for her to exhaust her options within the Canadian legal system before being eventually extradited to the U.S., if that is indeed the case. So tensions will likely continue as long as Meng is under Canadian control. Okay, and you you mentioned Davos and the World Economic Mm -hmm. Forum there. Do you see that as a flashpoint or... You know, what's your what are your thoughts around that? So it is definitely a flashpoint for rhetoric, uh, depending on what Christa Freeland does and says, and then what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says. It would be an opportunity for him to make come out more strongly against China and the treatment of Canadian nationals in China. He has commented, but not to the extent that we've seen Freeland do over the past week. In which case, again, we would expect China to respond more aggressively, though, again, in rhetoric, there is the possibility of more detention of Canadian nationals, so that would be surprising given the fact they already have two in custody. Okay, so uh, great predictions from the Canadian point of view there. What about from the U.S. point of view? So the U.S. is involved in all of this, um, but from a more influence perspective. So the predictions for the U.S. are more long-term in nature. So for American nationals, again, referring to the updated travel advisory issued by the State Department earlier this month, we see elevated risks specifically for dual citizens of the U.S. and China. What we really are going to start seeing is much more oversight from the U.S. government when it comes to Chinese foreign investment. So specifically CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, has already been tasked with several new pilot programs, which began in November 2018, to look into where investment in American technology firms is coming from. So you're going to see harsher penalties, more prosecution of you know, Chinese illegal Chinese investment in sensitive areas deemed so by the U.S. government. You're also going to see escalating pressure by America to curtail Huawei networks among allies, um, specifically when it comes to 5G. We've already seen that in Australia, for example. Germany announced yesterday that they are considering banning Huawei from its 5G networks. Canada is considering um, the national security implications but has not announced anything yet. And the UK, in fact, 
British Telecom announced late last year that they would not be using Huawei in building its 5G networks. Okay, um, quite a lot to uh, <laughs> quite a lot to, to take in there. So, against this uh, this backdrop of you know perhaps turbulent times, what would be your main considerations for clients in navigating this? So, the main considerations that people should be thinking about before undertaking travel to China particularly is to adhere to the security recommendations that have been laid out over the past couple of years. This would mean clean IT devices, taking clean laptop, tablet, mobile phone, sensitive documents to China, making sure that you don't have anything on there that could be subject to intellectual property theft or could be construed by Chinese authorities to be a danger to national security and therefore espionage to really make sure that anybody who is traveling to China is aware of the potential for Chinese monitoring of communications and acts accordingly. This is both from a data or written perspective as well as voice verbal conversations. Travelers should be prepared, Western travelers should be prepared for the possibility of extra scrutiny at customs or on the street, making sure that they have all of their documents in order, all of the required documents, and have the names, phone numbers, locations of their consulate or government advisors in the area. And that if this is something that Canadians are, if you're a Chinese-Canadian citizen, Chinese-American citizen, and are planning to take personal or non-essential travel to China over the next couple of weeks to maybe consider curtailing that uh, until the February 6th extradition hearing. That's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. So I guess the would you agree that the broad message then is that pre-existing travel advice still stands. Mm-hmm. It's perhaps just a little more important now to follow it. Yes, exactly. These are all things that have been advised by the U.S. and Canadian government over the past couple of years. Of note, is particularly, is the fact that though both the Canadian and American travel advisories were updated over the past couple of weeks, neither were increased. They just had addendums put on. So really, all of the advice still stands. It just is very, very important that you follow it. Okay. Just to finish off then, we, we've talked to, uh, you know, we focus mostly on uh, on China uh, and US and Canada. Are there any other countries in the world that, uh, that are kind of on your radar for US Canadian uh, travelers going forwards? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about there's been arrests of US nationals in Russia mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a few other touch points. Are there any other kind of countries which which come to mind that you're that you're thinking about so in terms of canadian nationals the country that immediately springs to mind is saudi arabia Uh, there was the recent granting of refugee status to a young woman who had fled her family in saudi arabia and she was accepted in toronto last saturday Diplomatic relations between the two countries are not great at the moment, so maybe think about traveling there. One from, to watch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> one to watch. And then from the U.S. perspective, Russia is an interesting one. The Paul Whelan case, I think, is a bit of an outlier. There are some details about that which are a little bit fishy, to say the least. Uh, so current travel advice to Russia, as advised by the U.S. State Department, I would say still stands in this case. Uh, not too much worry about traveling in and out for business purposes. Turkey, though, would be one to watch, given the ongoing negotiations about the U.S. withdrawal from Syria. And then Venezuela as well. 
uh, with the Maduro government continuing its rule, as well as increasing Chinese diplomatic efforts to Venezuela over the past couple of months, it is another one to watch mm-hmm. for U.S. citizens. And, and Iran? Iran and North Korea remain places that should be approached with extreme caution. Brilliant. Katie, thank you very much for all of your insight there. That's really useful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you would like to learn more about our services, or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at sibylline.co.uk. 